This is Buffalo, What's Next? I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Dave D. Boat. If ever there was an issue that demands more discussion now, the racist massacre at Tops Friendly Markets on May 14th is um, it. You know, America has a long, deep, rich history of racism brutalizing black communities. But where does it go from here? What does our community need? We must work and teach our children. What issues just aren't being addressed? As long as we keep doing the same thing, we're just sitting ducks for the next mass shoot. That's all you can say. This is a new program. Every weekday, we'll set aside this hour to hear from the community about issues that can no longer be held back. We need to make a concerted effort in our nation, in our institutions, and yes, in our families. And welcome to uh, Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. Coming up on uh, today's show later on, uh, Dave Debo is going to talk with Tina Peel. You may have seen Tina's signs around western New York uh, saying that uh, thoughts and prayers are one thing, but there's that unchecked box about action. We'll hear from Tina later on. Right now, though, we're pleased to have with us Zanetta Everhart. Uh, You are probably familiar with Zanetta's story, but I'll repeat it, of course, um, among the Shooting victims at the tops on Jefferson Avenue on May 14th. Ten people, of course, died. Three people were wounded, including Zaire Goodman. Zanetta is Zaire's mother, and she's with us this morning. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jay. Good morning, everyone. All right. uh, First and foremost, how's Zaire, or should we just call him the kid? (laughs) Always call him the kid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, the kid is doing good today. Um, I actually was running a little late because his nurse was there this morning. Um, He has nurses that come in every day um, to keep his wounds clean um, and just make sure that they're healing the way that they should. Um, So he's he's doing good. He's doing good. That's the physical part. How about the the other side? I can only imagine the turmoil. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it, now that's going to be a road. Uh, his physical wounds, they'll heal um, over time. Um, but although he will still have shrapnel left inside of him for the rest of his life, um, that's something that the doctors won't be able to remove um, just because of where the pieces are located. Um, but of course, there's a mental factor. Um, Zaire is seeing a psychiatrist. Um, and he's been seeing a psychiatrist since a week after this happened. Um, and and she's hopeful. Um, she likes to where he is mentally with all of this. Um, and it's it's been good for him to have someone to talk to um, just about, you know, what happened. Uh, it, it, <laughs> this is a lot. You know, oh, there is no doubt about yeah. that for sure. As yeah. a matter of fact, if we could just get in just a, a, a little bit and you can stop me wherever you want to go. But, you know, Zaire's story is a story. Of, uh, of, of uh, you know, obviously trauma. A lot of people were around yeah. who did not suffer wounds. Others, of course, lost their lives. What do you know about what was going on that particular day? That, and it wasn't very long of an episode at all, was it? But it, it was amazingly destructive. Yeah, it, it felt long. <laughs> right. In the moment. Um, yeah, so that day um, was a normal Saturday in my house, right? Um, we were in the kitchen together, me and Zaire. Uh, he was making breakfast, getting ready for work. I was actually about to head out and go to BJ's, one of my favorite stores. Um, and, you know, we were just in the kitchen. And, you know, he left out and said, have a good day, kid. You know, like our normal. And, and that was it. I was off to the grocery store, um, to another grocery store. And I was just about done. 
with my shopping when um, my phone rang. And I answered the phone like I always do because it was Zaire. And I said, hey, kid, what's up? And um, he was screaming. Hmm. Mom, mom, get here now. I got shot. And I just left my cart and ran through the store and got in my car. And I'm screaming in the phone, asking him where on his body did he get shot? Um, And he said he thought it was his back. Um, And I just told him, you know, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm driving, I'm coming. Um, You know, in a a normal day, I would be able to get to Tops within three minutes. We live blocks from the Tops grocery store in Jefferson. Um, And so, you know, at this point, I'm I'm across town. um, And I stayed on the phone with him the whole time. Um, you know, and I pleaded with the universe saying, spare my baby, spare my son. Um, and you know, within a minute or two, the ambulance was with him. Um, and you know, he had it on speakerphone and I could hear, you know, they were working on him and I told him I was coming, I was coming. And, um, the ambulance told me they had him and not to go to the scene, but to go to ECMC. Um, and so that's what I did. I went there and, um, yeah, and and panic ensued because once I pulled into ECMC, his phone hung up. Mm. Um, and then I get there and then they wouldn't let me see him. And, you know, they had me in a quiet room and I just sat on the floor. I sat on a cold, hard floor in ECMC. Um, that was a hard moment. That was the moment where it felt like years were passing by. And I know it was only minutes, um, but because I didn't know. I didn't know what was happening with him. I didn't know, you know, did he die? You know, did something go wrong? I was just talking to him a couple minutes ago, you know, so I didn't know. Um, and Zaire's dad got there and we sat there for a couple more minutes and then they said we could go see him. Wow, I mean, just hearing you talk about that, I, yeah. I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't breathe actually until, yeah. until you said that. I mean, obviously, I know how it turned out, but still. Yeah. Um, what about? So he was helping a customer. He was helping a customer. He said, "Yeah." He said, "He said she was a wonderful woman." Um, that's what he said. He said, "You know, they only talked for a, a couple seconds. Uh, it was her cart with her groceries or something, and um, you know, he was helping her. But that's what he did every day." Um, and he said, you know, they were just talking and, um, and he took the card and he put the cart back and she, he said, she said something else to him. So he turned his head and that's when he saw the shooter get out of the car. And, um, he said it was a blue car and he, as soon as he turned his head, he just shot and Zaire said he fell to the ground and then he shot the woman in front of him, right in front of him. And she fell. Yeah. And a co-worker, Zaire said he tried to get up, but he couldn't see. He lost his glasses um, when he fell. He couldn't see. Um, and he said, you know, he laid there for a minute because he could still see the shooter. Um, he said when he went into the store, he tried to get up, but he really couldn't move that much. Um, he said and then a co-worker came and helped him up and they ran across the street. And then that's when he called me. You know, talking about Zaire helping the um, customer. Yeah. in the parking lot and such it it 
underlines kind of the, some of the stories I've heard about that Tops. Yeah. There's a, there's a special bond with that Tops. It's a family community. store. It's a neighborhood family store. When I go there to do my normal shopping, you know, everyone's like, hey, Zaire's mom, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So there's always the, the normal people who are sitting outside on the benches and, you know, they greet you when you walk in. And yeah, it's a it's a community store. It's a community store. Yeah. Um, you, you said Zaire is uh, talking uh, to a counselor for, for some help here yes. uh, to try to get through this. There's a lot of talk about uh, po- post-traumatic syndrome, not just for the people that get are involved, but, the- but for everybody involved. And obviously, you're you're right there on top of this. How about for you? How are you doing? I'm, uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, this is hard for me um, as a mom. And, you know, when it's first started, Uh, And Zaire was home and, you know, I was now he has a nurse that comes in and cleans his wounds um, every day. But for the first week, I was the one doing that. Um, And it was recommended by my psychiatrist that we get a nurse to come in and do the cleaning because of PTSD. Um, And, you know, so that I'm not reliving that day because I, you know, who I was having nightmares every night. I, I dreamt that day every day for two weeks after it happened the same day over and over. I dreamt it. Um, and I wake up crying and, um, so yeah, but now I'm, I'm, I'm better. You know, I'm not having that dream anymore. So yeah, that's most certainly uh, good to hear. Um, you, uh, of course, uh, spoke on the, uh, uh, and on Capitol Hill in front of the house oversight committee. Let's, uh, let's play a little clip of, of, of some of your testimony. Yeah. We thank you for all of your thoughts and your prayers. Thank you for all of the love and support you have shown us during this difficult time. But I also say to you today, with a heart full from the outpouring of love that you also freely gave us, your thoughts and prayers are not enough. We need you to stand with us in the days, weeks, months, and years to come and be ready to go to work and help us to create the change that this country so desperately needs. That is uh, very powerful. Um, how did you feel when you were delivering that? You sounded you sounded very confident and very powerful. Uh, but how did you feel? It was tough. It was tough. Um, there were moments when I almost broke out in tears, giving that statement. Um, but I know that it was necessary. It it, it was necessary. Um, yeah. Thoughts and prayers. I love thoughts and prayers. I do. I This Buffalo has loved on me and Zaire tremendously. I, I It's indescribable. The people who have sh- just shown up to my door, leaving mm. flowers and food and gifts for Zaire. It's been amazing. But that doesn't solve the problem of why he was shot. Right. Like the thoughts and prayers aren't going to help us in the future. It's not going to stop the next mass shooting. Right. It's, it's just not. And you did a, a great job of outlining, like you said, there are three elements. Absolutely. To this whole thing that you saw. And first, America is is violent. And I, it is. And I love this quote. You said, my ancestors were the first currency of America. Yes. Auctioned for it. Sold on on auction blocks, you know, we built this country not just you know with our hands. My ancestors built this country with their bodies, 
they were the money of this country. So that is something that, you know, this country is deeply rooted in white supremacy. And we have to understand that and we have to be honest about that and we have to say it out loud and we have to put it in the history books and we have to teach our children that because this terrorist that stormed into my community he didn't know these things he didn't know what this country did to my to my community my ancestors yeah we were the first currency of this country our bodies were the first currency of this country there was no coins or dollar bills it was people people built this country physically and and they were sold they were sold. And that uh, brings me to the other part of the, the second part, education. Education. What is lacking in education that needs to be put forward? True African-American history. True American history. African-American history is American history. <laughs> if we're the first currency of this country, the history of this country is us. So we have to teach that from the beginning, all the way from the beginning. And we're and starting with children. That is that. That's just that's it. We have to tell the story. We can't act like America has always been this, you know, land of the home, you know, free and brave and all of that. Yeah, it sounds good. Right. It sounds real good. But at the surface, it's not true. It's not who we are. This country is violent. It teaches violence. It was built on violence. You know how it works in the education system. It, it could mm. take uh, it could take years for for this to actually become part of uh part of uh, the the regular teachings in classrooms but on the short term I know and we have a lot of teachers who who listen to this program what about for, to them thoughts to them of what they can do right now whether they're a, in a city classroom they're in a suburban classroom rural classroom what can they do right now what can they be telling their students books get books there are thousands and thousands of books out there who teach kids about diversity and about racism and about the history in this country and it teaches them in a way that they can understand it no matter what grade level that they're in just books and and that's why me and Zaire started our our book wish list um, right, because right. books help books are you know books are safe you know and they're comforting to kids and especially having you know a parent read to them about it or a trusted teacher you know or a trusted guardian read to them about the history of this country, That's it's books. Books are, you know, our savior. It's, it's uh, interesting you mentioned the uh, the book list. Kara uh, Oliver Perez, one mm. of her, her book is on your list, <laughs> yes, as a matter is. of fact, and yes. she was obviously thrilled uh, about that when we had her on yeah. uh, the program. Uh, tell me about some of the other books that are on the wish list. Yeah, so oh, there's so many on there. Um, there is a book on there also by Aaliyah Agostini, um, who is a Buffalo native, and she wrote a book um, called The Juneteenth Story. Um, you know, telling the story and the history of Juneteenth to children in a way that they can understand it, right? Um, there's a ch children's book about the 1619 Project, which encompasses things like, you know, the Juneteenth and stuff, but just telling the story of black people in this country and how it started and, and making children understand that. Um, yeah, there's just so, and there's, you know, some diversity books in there and it's one book just called the diversity book <laughs> for kids, right? Like it just teaches kids that, you know, we all, we all look different and it's okay and it's good. Right. Um, but that can still be your friend. 
and you can still, you know, have those people as friends, no matter what they, no matter what they look like, right? Like I, I said in my statement, right? Like our differences, right, should make us curious, right. not angry. Right. Like I should want to learn about you. I want to know what your family does on holidays and things like that. Those are things that kids should learn about. Yeah. Those are the nice, uh, that's a nice thought to lead into the uh, third part of, of what you're getting into, guns. Yeah. Um, not oh, necessarily boy. a nice topic and one that obviously has a lot of uh, political volatility to it. It does. Your your perspective on guns. Um, my perspective on guns is that this is not about lawmakers' personal feelings, right? Even me. I I am a supporter of the Second Amendment. I believe that people in this country should have a right to bear arms. Absolutely. I do not believe that an 18-year-old should be able to purchase an AR-15. That is problematic. I feel like that per- an 18-year-old's brain cells aren't even completely... <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> right? we hear a lot about that. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. you don't have the mental capacity at 18 years old to own and operate an AR-15. I, that's just my personal belief, okay? I just don't think that is a gun of war. That is a gun that is literally created to do the most harm in the least amount of time, and which was obvious on May 14th. Two minutes. It took him to kill 10 people and injure three. Two minutes. That's insane. I don't think anyone should have an AR-15, let alone an 18-year-old. He should not have access to things like that. Absolutely not. No. You, of course, are working in Senator, State Senator Tim Kennedy's office. So you yes. have your, you know, politics. Yeah. <laughs> what, do, you, do you feel the, the deck shuffling a little bit here on this I issue? feel it's happening. Yeah. Um, you know, I spoke in front of Congress. Many people spoke in front of Congress. There were marches down in Washington, D.C. And just days later, we had some movement. They heard me. They listened to me. They heard Zaire's story. They heard those other families' stories in Uvalde. You know, I believe that they heard us. I believe that they said, you know, let's sit down and have a conversation. They were adults. For the first time in my lifetime, I seen our lawmakers act like adults and sit down and have a conversation. And that's what this is about. For the first time in 30 years, we have movement on gun laws in this country. So, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely taking credit for that. They hurt me. They hurt those families. They saw those tears of those families, you know, those parents. You know, they have because there there's a human aspect to this. If those stories are not hitting you in your heart and in your conscience, something is wrong with you. And so I believe those lawmakers listened to us and they heard us and they made some changes, not the changes we wanted. And I am not going to sit here and say that that is absolutely what we wanted. Yes. Great. The thing is, I'm going to take the win. I'm going to take the win. But tomorrow we go back to work because more needs to be done. And just curious, uh, during that time, it must be a whirlwind going in there, doing your testimony, <laughs> uh, getting back to, to Buffalo and Zaire. Uh, at the same time, was there any interaction with any lawmakers in particular? Obviously, you know, I'm sure uh, Congressman Higgins and such, but yeah. uh, but others who may have said, you know, you made a difference today. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was it was definitely a whirlwind. 
And um, I was I was able to meet with uh, Congresswoman um, AOC, you know, oh. everyone's favorite. <laughs> I say everyone's favorite. I know she's probably not. She's my one of she's, my favorites. She's a lot of people's um, favorites. Yeah. But, you know, I got to meet with AOC and Rashida Tlaib and Sheila Jackson Lee. It, it was absolutely amazing. You know, Senator Gillibrand, you know, and we got to sit down with the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. That was amazing. And just to see her humanity in that moment. And she just sat there and listened to us. She just sat there. She wanted to hear our feelings, but she also wanted to hear how we felt the country, you know, how the country could fix this. It's interesting that all the lawmakers you just mentioned there were all women. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe that is going to be what's going to make the, the change. Women will change this world. We will. Because this country needs a heart. And that is where women come in. We make places that we enter. We change the energy in rooms. We make it softer. And we make people feel the humanity in each other. And, and yeah, I'm a woman, so <laughs> I believe that. I believe that women will change the world. Zanetta Everhart is our guest uh, this morning on Buffalo What's Next. Uh, just to catch you up if you're checking in, of course, uh, uh, Zanetta's son, Zaire Goodman, was uh, among uh, the 13 shooting victims at the uh, Tops massacre on May 14th. Zaire is recovering from his wounds uh, still to this this time. Um, an- another part of your testimony that I uh, was taken aback by is um, to the east side of Buffalo. Hmm. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Why do you love the east side of Buffalo? Because that's my home. That is where I was born. That's where I was raised. That is where I still live. Do you think... When it comes to the east side of Buffalo, and we've heard similar stories from others that we've been talking to here, it's your home. We all love our homes. I'm talking about everybody. Mm-hmm. But do you think the the common Western New Yorker has that concept of, of, of the east side of Buffalo? I think that overall they don't know the east side of Buffalo. So how could they love it? They don't come onto the east side of Buffalo. People don't come over there. You know, the one thing that has... Um, really made my heart smile over the last few weeks through this tragedy. So many people are up and down Jefferson Avenue now. It's beautiful to see. Shopping. There's nowhere to park on Jefferson. (laughs) I'm like, what is going on here? But it's beautiful because there's so many amazing shops and stores and things going on on Jefferson that people should be participating in. You know, they're seeing the community that I've always lived in. You know, it's it's beautiful to see. And I think that people are starting to see that the east side of Buffalo is a jewel. It is. Let's continue on then. The jewel. Okay, it's your home. What else makes it special? It's the people. It's the love. And that's why I said in that statement, I love you, because there is so much love on the east side of Buffalo. People are our elders. You know, that's another heartbreaking thing about the May 14th shooting. So many of our amazing elders were taken from us that day. These are people who, you know, run the food pantries, right? And, you know, they're out there mentoring kids and, you know, helping kids get back and forth to school, you know, and not just their own grandchildren, community kids, you know, but that's what the East Side of Buffalo is about. It's a village. You know, I was raised by the entire East Side of Buffalo, not just my parents. And that's a lot of kids' story on the East Side. Absolutely.
You also mentioned, of course, uh, resources. Mm. So let's maybe start building this conversation here because the name of the show is Buffalo What's Next. And I don't think we're going to stop hearing uh, compelling uh, firsthand accounts from people about what they have and what they experienced. But when it comes to resources now here again, you have a unique position, right? Because yeah. being in the state senator's office, you have an understanding of how resources are allocated, what yep. things are, are available. What are the resources that are needed to, like you said, bring that neighborhood and give it the shine that it needs, that it, it becomes this you know, multicultural place where everybody goes. Right. It's it's many things. Okay. Right, sure. It's it's many things. However, some of those things is housing. Right. There is a housing problem on the east side of Buffalo. And I'm not talking about, you know, all of these new developments and affordable housing. Yeah, that's great and wonderful. However, majority of the people who live on the east side of Buffalo, you know, you call it affordable housing, but the rent is $1,200. Who can afford that? (laughs) Right. Right. I'm talking about real housing, like, you know, programs that will help people buy their homes on the east side of Buffalo, help entrepreneurs buy their buildings so that they can run their business out of them. Right. I'm talking about health care. Resource actual access to healthcare right in a neighborhood. Why is that not a thing on the east side of Buffalo? Right? People need so many different things. Food insecurities, right? When the tops obviously tops is still closed. That was a lifesaver for people. People can walk to that grocery store, right? They can send their kids to that grocery store. That is one of the only grocery stores on the east side of Buffalo, right? Uh, We need more grocery stores on the east side of Buffalo. We need access to actual fresh foods on the east side of Buffalo. You know, there's just so many issues that plague our community, but we have amazing lawmakers in the city of Buffalo, right? Senator Kennedy, Governor Hoko, you know, Majority Leader Crystal People Stokes, you know, and just the other day, Governor Hochul announced all this money that is going to be funneling into the east side of Buffalo, but not just for really big, large projects like the Northland Corridor and things like that. But she's talking about additional grocery stores for the African Heritage Food Co-op. Right. That is what I'm talking. Grassroots on the ground. And she talked about housing. She's, you know, putting funding towards housing now so that people can buy a home on the east side of Buffalo. You know, the working poor. There are people that live on the east side of Buffalo that are working two and three full time jobs just to get through and pay rent. No, they should be they should have an opportunity to buy a piece of land for them and their children. And so our lawmakers are they hear us and they're listening and they're showing up. And that is what I love. Yeah. Um. Paint a picture of what you could see it being like. Um, mm. You know, again, that's, that's such a hard thing to necessarily come up with. Yeah. But um, <laughs> when you see it, when you when you imagine it and you're not having nightmares anymore mm. um, and you're looking at a, a, at a better place, you're walking down your street, what does it look like? It looks like life. It looks like love and life. Bringing love and life back into our community. It's going to take some time to heal from this. It is going to take some time. This is hard, but love and life. I want to see our neighborhoods built up and I, I want to see those resources continue, not stop, you know, because, you know, there's it's been a month since the right. shooting. Don't just stop, you know, showing up on Jefferson. Continue. Stay there. Hang out there. You know, help these people. They need help. They need help. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, we're talking with uh, Zanetta Everhart uh, this morning on uh, what's next, Buffalo. Uh, the the community. I'm talking about the black community. It it amazes me, and I, I want to see what your thoughts are on this. And especially you, I mean, your son was wounded mm-hmm. um, and had to be hospitalized, and still recovers from that. There should be a lot of anger about this. Mm-hmm. There should be a lot of anger about this, and I know. There is. But at the same time, I haven't seen people act out. I haven't seen people respond violently. What does that say? Because the side of Buffalo is love. This is we're angry. I'm angry. I'm angry every day, but I'm using my anger for good. And I think that that's what the people on the side of Buffalo are doing. They're using their anger for good. They are sitting down at tables trying to figure out how we help each other through this. And and that's, the, you know, I mean, I don't have to tell you, you follow the news. You know how situations like this go, how they paint pictures of the east side of Buffalo or communities like the east side of Buffalo all over the country. Right. These are angry people. No, we're angry because of the situations that we've continuously been put in, right? These situations are not unique to the east side of Buffalo. These have been going on all across this country since the beginning of time, right? So, yeah, we're angry, but we're going to use our anger to fix our community and to fix our people and to help heal our people. That's what we're going to use our anger for. We're, we're not, there will be no acting out and, you know, riots and all of that. We don't need to do that because that's not who we are. That is not who we are. We are love. We are love. You mentioned earlier about uh, the victims uh, who were killed mm. in the uh, Tops shooting, and so many of them, grandmothers, mm. great-grandmothers. Mm. What about the role of that, that second generation, that grandmother mm. role <laughs> in, in the community? That's always a very interesting thing because yeah. uh, there's, there's a huge value to that that gets maybe a little underreported. Absolutely. Our elders... Our elders are everything to us in the black community. They are the teachers, right? They pass down the stories. They, you know, they are just special humans, <laughs> you know? And, and and like I said before, it doesn't matter, you know, if it's their grandkid or, you know, or not. A kid is their grandkid, no matter who that child belongs to. We love on each other. That is what we do. I have many adopted grandmothers on the east side of Buffalo (laughs) um, that, you know, that I've collected over the years. And I love them dearly. I love them dearly. Why? Because, you know, they love Zaire and they love, you know, and we're not related, (laughs) you know, and they make sure Zaire need food or, you know, Zaire need clothes. And this is long before May 14th. Um, So our elders... They are the anchors on the east side of Buffalo. They truly are. And so that is that is truly what makes May 14th um, even harder to bear. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, in your testimony, you uh, referenced a book, I believe, The Devil We Know. Yeah. Tell me about that. Charles Blow. Yeah, yeah um, it's an amazing book. <laughs> it really, really is. I, 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 you're giving me a, a big home home to do list here. By the way, of these books I've got to read, but continue. <laughs> good, good, good. That's the way it should be. I love books. I'm obs- I've always been obsessed with books. Um, but yeah, Charles Blow wrote this book, uh, The Devil You Know, um, and it, a lot of the book is actually talking about the Great Migration. Um, you know, years and years ago, when you know black people, you know, traveled up north for better opportunities. And things like that. So a great 
deal of his book talks about that, but a great deal of the book also talks about white supremacy. Um, and so, yeah, that quote is, um, it's exactly what we live every day, right? He says uh, racism, you know, as we've come to know it, is a fact, right? But race is not, right? Race isn't a fact. It's fiction. It's created. People cre- people in this country created that, right? Um, and, yeah, it's it's just a really good book. I, I definitely recommend people reading it. Um, and they just get a snapshot into the lives of our ancestors and our elders and, you know, why they made those hard decisions to leave the South, you know, um, and come up north for better opportunities because they thought that there were better opportunities in North America when in actuality, the racism was just different in North America, right? It was in the South, it's out loud right. racism, but in the North, it was institutionalized racism, right? It was, you know, the, the, the school to prison pipeline, you know, it's deeper, it's segregation in the North, you know, it's things like that. So that's what the book, what the book talks about. That, that is interesting. So because I think a lot of po- people would be very curious about that idea that, you know, race is, I guess you said it was fiction. It's fiction. Uh, maybe just expand. Like, I think you were kind of getting into it and going on. <laughs> but I mean, I feel free to expand on that just a, a little bit more about because I think that's something. And I think. Well, we're humans. Right. We're all humans. Just because we look different doesn't mean we're different. Right. We 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 migrated in different areas of the world, which is why we look different. But when it comes down to it, we are human beings, all of us. We, you know, our DNAs, me and you could do a DNA test and we can look back and figure out that somewhere in our DNAs, we're connected, right? So that's what race, like race is color and people created that. That is an institution that this country created to keep people separated. Yeah. And, and so to that end, though, it, it does highlight the layers of understanding that need to be uncovered here. In education. Exactly. That is my point. (laughs) It always comes back to education. If kids aren't learning these things and they're like, oh, well, you're black and I'm white and, you know, so I'm going to bully you, you know, but they don't understand that they're actually connected. They're actually connected because we don't teach kids that. We keep them separated on purpose. We have, a, you know, a caste system in this country, and and we act like we don't, but we do. Yeah, I, that's an interesting way of, of describing it because, again, I think most people would say, and and I, I think without belligerence, would say, well, this is the way I was brought up, and this is the way it is. But it shouldn't be. You shouldn't be brought up that way. You should be brought up understanding people in this world, different people in this world, right? We should just learn those things in school, that people are different and it's okay. It doesn't mean that that person is better than the next person. It just doesn't. We're humans and we need to sh- we need to show more humanity in this country. We, we do. We're coming down to our final few minutes here with Zanetta Everhart, but I'm not eager to let you go because <laughs> I have lots of questions for you as you can tell. You know, one of the part things about, again, what you do at Senator Kennedy's um, office is, you know, you're involved in diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion. Uh, yeah. And so let's let's maybe just talk about that role, because, um, you know, we have somebody in this organization who's touched on that to a certain extent. So maybe it takes a different role in everybody's office. How about for yours? 
Yeah, so um, yeah, so I'm Senator Kennedy's Director of Diversity and Inclusion. Um, my job is heavily focused, not just, but heavily focused on the east side of Buffalo, um, making sure that we are funneling resources directly into the east side of Buffalo. Um, I host a, a lot of different events around the east side, um, including one that I started called the Single Moms Club, um, and that event is for single moms and their kids, um, and we just provide them with a space to, um, to just come and learn about different things that are resources that are available to them. Um, but we make it fun. Um, we separate the moms and kids. kids uh, how many off. people are involved? In the, oh, the hundreds. Yeah. yeah. So we, we try to do these uh, bi-monthly events and the moms bring their kids and the kids go off and they have their own activities with volunteers. And then the mom gets kind of like a night off almost, right? We do three hours for the mom. Sometimes we do paint nights. They can come get a manicure, a massage, um, all types of things we've done for the moms um, because single moms, you know, they work a lot. They work a lot and they sure. work hard sure. and they don't get days off, you know. And so we want I wanted to create a space for them because I'm a single mom. So I know what that looks like when it's just you and your kid and you're working, you're going to school, you're doing all these things. Where are the fun things, right? right, right, right. Where, where are the things for single moms? So, so that's one of the things that I started um, through the senator's office. But yeah, I I love my job, you know. Um, and and one of the, the new spaces that I'm in is I get paid to talk about gun violence and racism professionally, and now gun violence and racism is at my door now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a new space for me. So now I'm finding new ways and new pathways to use my platform to help this community and the country. And, and Senator Kennedy's um, district, uh, I don't, I can't mm. recall a map off the off my the top of my head here, obviously encompasses the east side of Buffalo, but other places as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the, the interaction with the, throughout his, his district? I'm, I'm yeah, the senator that. has a very interesting district. Um, so he represents a large portion of the city of Buffalo, Chitawaga and Lackawanna. Um, and so he, his office is actually made up of people who live in all of those communities. Okay. And so he has people in his office who represent him in those communities. Um, and so when he's not available, when he's in Albany um, during session, um, you know, we're able to go out to these different communities still, you know, and understand their needs and, you know, what's going on in their community. And we bring that back to the senator. Yeah. So he, he has a very interesting office. And I definitely I love the way his office is shaped um, because he hires people directly from those communities to represent him in those communities because those are the people who know the needs the most right um, and 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 it's good work we do we do good work I love working for the senator um, you know he's an amazing man he really really is uh, Zaire again is, is still recovering um, yeah. what does he want to do when uh, he's uh, recovered <laughs> what's he got in his, his, his uh, plate what does he want to oh, do oh goodness so this summer uh, Zaire will be, uh, he used to be a student over at Buffalo Center for Arts and Technology, so he will be back over there this summer helping out. Um, and, you know, he loves digital media and things like that, so he'll be there, but he'll be back in school um, back at Villa Maria College in the fall. And um, shout out to Dr. G over at Villa Maria College, my <laughs> alma mater. And yes, I am on the board over there as well, but they um, they gave Zaire a full scholarship to come back to school. Um, he did a few semesters uh, 
uh, prior to the pandemic. And um, so, yeah, I'm, he's excited. He wants to go into journalism and do some creative writing and things like that. And, and he's an anime fan. Uh, so he wants to write books about anime. And, and, and he, my son is also autistic. He's on the autism spectrum. He has Asperger's syndrome. So he wants to do some books around anime um, and autism and kind of fuse them together. So he's a, he's a really cool kid. So Absolutely. look out for that. Yeah, I'd love him on when he's ready and if he wants to come in on we can talk to him if he yeah. wants to i don't want to yeah. i don't want to pull over push to push the limits there and yeah. um uh just as uh we wind down here then um what's next for you then oh, helping my community continuously helping my community um you know people have been asking me so yeah where are you going next I, you know and i'm like whoa <laughs> i'm not leaving my job i love my job <laughs> not now anyway senator kennedy relax um <laughs> i'm not going anywhere just yet um but i'm i'm hoping that i will be able to affect some change on a larger scale across this country so i think that that's where my mind is is right now it's on the community but definitely i'm looking outwards and and hoping that i can make some real changes um, across the country. Can you keep us up to date? Absolutely. Zanetta Overhart, uh, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Jay. Hey, we used to love this song. We still do, but we used to too. WBFO The Bridge, college radio for adults. Check us out on 88.7 or 94.5 HD2 and of course, WBFO.org slash The Bridge. Sometimes we miss our morning alarm, then we miss our morning news, and the whole day is off. That's when you can listen to the WBFO Brief Podcast to catch up on the day's news and get back on track. Find it every weekday wherever you get your podcasts, and then like and subscribe so you never miss the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And this is Dave Debo with a reminder, of course, if you missed any part of that conversation that Jay just had with Zanette Everhart, we do rebroadcast this program tonight at 10. It's also available as a podcast. You can subscribe or you can even listen to it on demand at WBFO.org. For our next segment, I'd like to look at two different things. First, the role of white allies. And second, the idea, and this is something that Zanetta raised in her interview with Jay, the idea that thoughts and prayers are not enough. And along the lines of both of those, I'd like to pause for just a quick second and listen to Sherman Webb Middlebrooks. He's a local trainer, heavily involved with talking to black youth about things like toxic masculinity, but he often works as a facilitator in the community in a lot of ways. And he says that one of those two concepts, the idea of whites working together with blacks, is absolutely crucial. Black people didn't create the racism and the structure that's in this country, and so therefore I don't feel like it's our job to dismantle it, right? And so we need the white allies. If you want to donate your time and your effort, like John Brown, I'm, I'm more than happy if you want to stand next to me. Um, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. I know we had a, a protest um, we were doing when there was a certain presidential um, candidate at the time who came to Buffalo 
and we wanted to do a demonstration. And I remember white folks intentionally saying, when the police show up, we're going to lock arms. Black person, white person, person of color, white person, because we believe as white people, the police will be less likely to strike you if I'm standing next to you. So let's talk a little bit about one of those metaphorical locking of arms. And let's also talk a little bit about the idea of of thoughts and prayers not being enough. One of the most enduring images on the east side um, near that shooting scene is a lawn sign. Several of them dot the areas around the shooting. They have check boxes with marks on them, almost like a a to-do list. Thoughts checked. Prayers checked. And then the box that says action, no check mark at all, left completely blank. These signs are the work of a suburban white mom with roots in the community. It is some of the part of the ally work that Middlebrooks talked about. It is the brainchild of Tina Peel, and she is with us now. Tina, welcome. Hi, Dave. Thanks. Uh, Tina is a former radio personality locally. Full disclosure, I've known Tina for years, but until I mentioned these signs on air and until she reached out and said she was behind them, uh, I had no idea that they came from her let alone from a white person who wanted to do something more in the community. To me, that's significant. Tell me about your motivation, Tina. Well, I think, um, first of all, you know, I grew up, when I was little, I grew up on Northampton and Fillmore. My family is from there. My mother uh, was was always an activist. Um, It was modeled for me my whole life. Uh, social justice and then when the shooting happened uh, I was watching the news and the politicians first thing out of their mouth our thoughts and prayers go to the victims and their families and I just thought oh I'm so tired of hearing about thoughts and prayers you know and I'm a prayerful woman I go to church every week but this you've got to take action you know in the Bible it says um, faith without works is is uh, is dead you have to do something and um, so a couple nights later, I had a nightmare, and I woke up with the idea for this sign in my head. Thoughts checked off, prayers checked off, action blank. What has been the response? You've distributed how many of them? I've distributed about 200 of them. Um, the response has been really good. Um, I purposely put the bottom line, says, um, what are you doing? I purposely did not put an agenda, Dave, because I wanted people to to do what, what fight for what they want to fight for. Take action. Is it racism? Great. Is it white supremacy? Great. Is it about drum, uh, guns? Great. Mental health? There, those are all, these are all viable things that people might want to take action on. So you, your choice. And then that opens the sign up so people don't go, well, I don't think there should be gun control. I'm not putting that sign up. Well, maybe they have a support for something else that they feel that there needs to be action for. Do you find it odd that a, a suburban mom from West Seneca is doing this? Talk about your ties to the community. Well, as I said, I grew up, I grew up, uh, I was born at Deaconess Hospital. And I grew up uh, till I was seven, lived on the, lived on, the, lived, uh, on Northampton near Fillmore. My dad was, uh, was born and raised in the house that his, his grandpa built on Northampton Street. And um, we moved to East Aurora um, after, after, actually, truthfully, my sisters got beat up in the neighborhood about 1970. And my parents just said, okay, we, we got to move somewhere safer for our kids. We moved to East Aurora. Um, 
but it was but but the neighborhood was always in our hearts our grandparents still live here my dad still owned houses here and i remember dave when i was in first grade at, in buffalo we um we colored pictures of martin luther king for his birthday in about 1970 right and then we moved to east aurora and there was no mention of martin luther king i was a little kid but yet i was aware of this I'm like why why aren't we coloring pictures of martin luther king out here in east aurora <laughs> and you know so i think it ran deep with me even from a young age and um and so we i grew up in east aurora and then lived in the city for 20 years before settling now in west seneca but it's it's very it's it's not just racism it's it's love it's it's people are human beings we're all humans we're all children of god we all deserve good things um nobody deserves to be treated any differently than others because of the color of their skin it doesn't matter where I was born or what my background is, you know, especially as a as a child of God, as a follower of Christ. And I don't want to sound like a Jesus freak, but but, you know, to love your neighbor as yourself, you know, to love to love one another and want the best for everyone else just because they exist. During all of our discussions on the program here, segregation has certainly come up often. Uh, the east side is certainly segregated. Buffalo, one of the most segregated cities in, in America. You mentioned East Aurora. Of course, that is very much a white enclave. Uh, yeah. Do you find, do you find um, it an issue that is difficult to raise? Uh, or can I ask the question another way? How unique are you to have this kind of concern? Um. I don't know, because the people I hang up out with all have the same concern, but maybe, you know, like-minded people hang around together. Um, it's, it's hard to say how unique I am. I mean, I go to church uh, on the east side of Buffalo, and there's, we have um, white people in the congregation, and we're all like-minded. So, um, so in terms of my my suburban brothers and sisters on my street i see no signs you know i see no um signs you know literally or figuratively um but i don't know what's inside of people's heads and hearts but if i can put that sign on my lawn in west seneca and get other people to put the sign on their lawns all over the county then you know maybe just one one person at a time we can we can change things we're talking with tina peel she's the uh, person behind those signs you've probably seen uh, around erie county yes and certainly along jefferson avenue the ones with the check boxes thoughts yes prayers yes action still required and then it asks the question again how did you phrase it what what action what are you what are you doing what are, what you, are doing? you doing okay yes Last week, I was speaking with Jomo Okono. He is a um, a chair of the Juneteenth efforts, and he talked a little bit about how people are motivated by different things, how we have reached sort of a critical point where whites cannot ignore this issue. But he framed it a little differently than I would have thought. Hold on for a second. Let's listen to what he said, and then I'd like to have you react. I think that George Floyd and the massacre there was one of the most important things for the 21st century um, as we're being candid for white people to see. And this is what I mean. Since George Floyd, many black people have now found out that there are more white people who are seeking justice for black people than we ever imagined. Do you know why? Because when we watched George Floyd, 
the black community has been familiar with that reality. But the whites that saw the knee on the neck couldn't not say, oh, my God, this is wrong. And do you know why they probably said that with a clear conscience? Not because black Jomo or the black people from any inner city said it. Most white people watched that from the comforts of their own home, and they saw it with their own eyes, they heard it with their own ears, and that reference point didn't need any interpretation. Would you agree, Tina, that, that George Floyd was sort of a tipping point? And, and if so, this is the part where I thought his comments were interesting. If George Floyd was a tipping point, wouldn't it automatically follow that people have seen racism? They know what's out there. And that action after this shooting follows much more easily or much more automatically because we were already preconditioned. We already noticed this in the ways that he says we didn't notice before George Floyd. I think it certainly was a tipping point. Um, I think, but I think you know, there's a lot of people that still deny it. You know, there's a lot of people who still think somehow that he was at fault. But I think that it that it, he's absolutely right. That it did motivate a lot of people to see what's really going on and to take some action and and to really get angry. You know, that's and that's part of it for me. Is I'm I'm angry and and not just you know at at the hate and the racism, but but the money and the power behind the politics and and so much of the media that drives this that that they couldn't that seems like they don't care about the fate of our country and the fate of our people because they're more interested in getting votes and getting money and having power than they are in um and saving lives and bringing our country together and bringing our not just the country but but um but divide, you know, destroying, devouring, whatever that um, that segregation. And you're talking specifically there about the reluctance to adopt what many have labeled as sensible gun control. I think that's part of it. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Uh, tell me about what other kind of action you see coming from this. I know you said you were specific with the signs, not to promote something. But I also imagine that you have things in your heart and in your mind that you want to see happen. I think I think mental health is a huge factor. I think um, trauma is a huge factor. I think that um, that that lack of education um, and um, and. Like I said, this hate speech, I mean, yes, we have free speech, but how far can we carry hate speech? How far is it, is it, is it taken to the point where people are taking action on things that just aren't true? And, um, you know, what, what can be done about this? Much of the discussion has touched on education. And I know you have a, a, a young son, not, not, I guess, teenage now, right? Oh, my. Okay. We haven't been in touch as much. <laughs> we have not been in his touch as much as I thought we should be. Uh, I had no idea he was that old. But uh, he's certainly in the school system. And I know you don't want to yes. talk so much about your son. Talk a little bit about education, about how uh, racist ideals may or may not be propagated within the schools. Um, well, I think that there definitely needs to be honest discussion and honest history about about. um 
about black people in America, as the previous guest has has discussed. I also just I also wanted to mention, just in terms of the schools, was I just remember how how nervous that my son was every time there was a lockdown drill. You know that this is the reality for kids now. Is that is that um, now we have to prepare for a shooter? It's terrible. It's a terrible way to be raised. Do you think that um, the schools are doing enough? Is there is there a curriculum change you'd like to see that that matches your passion? I think there should be. I think there should be definitely. Um, like the previous guest had said, if there's if there's honest African American history in with um, the the curriculum that already exists, um, whether I don't know whether that's a separate you know curriculum or not, or just you know let's honestly look at what slavery was about. Let's honestly look about you know at you know what happened when you know America was discovered. But there are already people here, <laughs> you know. Right. Like it just it's, just it's crazy, you know. It's crazy. But how much how much are we? Uh, how much do people really? Are they being taught from a young age, um, and how much is that sinking in? I think is a bigger factor. Do you see change coming? Um, are you? I usually say this for the final question, but uh, I want to ask you right now: Are you optimistic? I am. I am optimistic. You know, I. I think in a way, you know, it's. Uh, it's. It's amazing that the woman who's who you just had as a guest. Uh, whose son was injured, you know, it's a terrible tragedy, but but yet that she works for Senator Tim Kennedy mm-hmm. and is already on a diversity, you know, head of, the, head of that team and already was working towards things. You know, I think, you know, that quietly things were heading in the right direction and this seems to be pushing things out in the open. And um, and I think that there is there is change coming. I think it's little, it's incremental, and, but I think that's always how it has to be. It's always going to be that way. Um, but I think little by little um, that things will get better. And But people need to step up and take action. People need to see, first they need to see the problem, and then they need to see, I can be part of this. I can be part of the solution. And I guess that brings me back to the signs. Someone saying they can be part of this and proclaiming that to their neighbors, putting it on their front lawn, that's a step. It might not be action, a big action. But I'm guessing, and I don't want to lead you too far down the road here, I'm guessing that just just making a statement is step number one. Yep, absolutely. What what little thing can you do? You write a letter to somebody, uh, call your call your senator, uh, go down to the go down to Jefferson and Best or uh, the tops down there, say a prayer, um, whatever it is that you can do. But take some action. Do something. Do something. Because doing nothing has gotten us nowhere. And tell me how people. I'm. I'm assuming you still have some stock left. How do people get these signs if they'd like to place them on their lawns? Uh, yes, in East Aurora, but also on Jefferson Avenue. Um, I do have some of the smaller signs left, and if you look for me on uh, Facebook, uh, Tina P E E L, and you'll see my. You'll know it's me because the, my uh, profile photo has a picture of a sign on it, and then you can just message me. So. Um, and, and I'd be happy to get you a sign. So Tina and then peel like banana peel. That's 
right, exactly. All right, very good. As we close here, anything you'd like to add? I would just like to say I, I appreciate this opportunity to talk about to talk about this and um, <clears throat> and that a lot of people are 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 jumping on the bandwagon of thoughts and prayers are not enough. And I'm not taking credit for that, Dave, but just I've been hearing that a lot, you know, and that prayer can lead to action. And so we need to take we need to take it one step further. Tina, thanks so much for your time today. You're welcome. Tina Peel. Again, find her on Facebook if you'd like those signs. Thanks also to Zanetta Everhart for being here today. If you missed that program, we are again on demand at WBFO.org. We're a podcast and we repeat this show on air tonight. Tomorrow's show, national author Natalie Basile talks about food apartheid. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLL Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown.